Well, welcome everyone. It's great to be with you. My name is Jill. I'm one of the community life pastors here, and it's great to be with you and to get to worship with you. If you are new or visiting, we want to say that we are especially glad that you've chosen to join us. Maybe a friend invited you or you saw us on Google, but whatever reason you're here, we are so glad that you are here. We have a connection card in your seat backs. You can fill that out as a way to let us know that you're new and drop that in the offering bags when they come around in just a moment. We also have a new people's table out in the lobby with uh, some friendly volunteers who'd love to greet you as well as a free welcome gift so be sure to stop by our table in the lobby after service and then as always we want to say a special welcome to all those who are joining us online and so if that's you if you're with us online we are so glad that you're here well, you guys, this coming Friday is Veterans Day, and so in light of that, we want to just take a moment to honor anyone who's here who has served in the armed forces or who is currently serving. And so if that's you, would you just stand so that we can applaud you as a way of honoring you and thanking you for your service? Well, thank you so much, and we do honor you, and we're grateful for you. Well, you guys, a few announcements for us today. First, we want to remind you we have our human trafficking awareness event coming up where you can learn more about the justice issue of human trafficking and how we can fight against it in the church. When you come to this event, you will have an opportunity to hear from a survivor as well as a leader with an organization named Treasures, which is a ministry that does outreach to victims of sex trafficking. And then you'll also have an opportunity to assemble some bags that they'll be using for street outreach. So you can get more info for that event and sign up on our website website. We also have a seasoned seniors potluck coming up, and so if you are over the age of 65, we want to invite you to join us for our seasoned seniors potluck on December, uh, se uh, sorry, on November 17th. More info for that is available on our website. And then we also want to let you know that we are doing a Christmas pajama drive, and we're collecting new pajamas for women and children who are experiencing homelessness through Hope Gardens Family Center. And so if you're interested to donate pajamas for that, you can get more information on our website. You can also sign up on our website. And if you do want to donate, we would ask that you would sign up to tell us what size is and quantity and what gender you're buying for. So you can get more information about that on our website. Well, now is the time in our service where we get to continue in our worship through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And as we prepare our hearts for that, let me read to us what God's word says from Nehemiah 10, 35. This is what we read. It says, we also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. And so as we give back to God, may we be people who give to him the first and the best of all that we have and all that God has given to us. In just a moment, we'll pass the offering bags. As always, you can give online through our Christian Assembly LA app or on our website. If you're new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give. And we do want to say thank you for your ongoing giving and generosity. As the ushers come forward, would you join me as we pray together? Lord God, thank you so much for every good gift that you have given to us. God, we pray that you would make us generous, make us men and women who give gratitude to you for all that you've given us, and God, who recognize that everything we have, every good gift, is because of you, our good Father. And so God, make us generous people who give back to you the first and the best of all you've given to us. And God, again, we want to honor and thank those who have served or are serving in the armed forces. And so God, thank you for the men and women who've said yes to that commitment and that call and to their service and their generosity and their sacrifice, Lord. God, we love you. Speak to us throughout this service. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen. The ushers can come forward. Well, it's good news that we have a carrier who carries us, isn't it? That his grace carries us. His love carries us. And so if you're a visitor guest, want to uh, add my welcome to those that you have already received. Of course, my CA family, great to be with you as well. I have the joy of introducing a new staff member to you. Want to give you a little bit of context before uh, I do that. A couple years ago, um, we have four, for those of you that might not have students, you might not know this, but we have four full-time youth pastors. Two of them are guys, two women. And a couple years ago, one of the female youth pastors named Heather 
uh, went from 40 hours a week to 30 hours a week because she had um, some kids, additional kids, and wanted to go uh, fewer hours, and so that we made that possible. And um, then, uh, I think this is public, I know it's public news, but Noelle Walker is one of our other female youth pastors, and she's pregnant, and so we're excited for her. And uh, so, But after the baby comes, she's going to be going part-time from 40 hours uh, to 24 hours. So as we were discussing it as a management team and then talked with the CA council as well, we saw that you know we had a decreased number of hours, and we knew that God was leading us to add an additional female youth pastor to our staff team. So we had been praying and in conversation, and really for everybody on the team, one person came to mind who we already knew and already had a history and connection uh, with our students as well as with our church. And so her name is Britt Vargas. Would you welcome Britt as she comes on up here? Love you, sis. Well, Scripture tells us that pastors are a gift to the church, and Britt, I can speak as a parent. You've already been a gift to both my youngest son, but also my daughter as well, and I want to thank you for even already in the little time that you've been on our staff team, how you've poured in, and so I want to say welcome uh, really to staff. I mean, you've been part of CA, but welcome to the staff team, and just give you a chance to say a few words to the church. Well, hi, hello, how are you guys? Um, I am just so blessed. Like Tom was saying, I had been volunteering a long time ago. The Lord brought me somewhere else, and now I'm back. And one of the things that I just know, and just talking to so many of you, is just this sense of home. And so I feel like I'm just coming home, and I'm really blessed and honored to be serving. If you have any students in middle school or high school, I am just so excited to be a part of their lives. Um, One of the things that has just been really uh, just talking to my heart a lot is from Isaiah 48 and it says the flowers fade and the grass withers but the word of God stands forever and so that's kind of what I feel like the Lord is just bringing me to is just being able to lead students to this fully committed life in Jesus and just knowing that no matter trials even joys that the word of God stands forever and so I am just honored to be here and to get to see all of your faces. So praise God for that. Yeah, we love it. (laughs) I want us to pray for Britt. And so as is our habit, we wish everybody could come up and uh, extend a hand, lay hands. But if you're comfortable, you can just extend a hand as I pray for Britt now. We pray together. So Lord, we thank you that you have sent Britt to be a pastor to so many students in the life of our church and even beyond the life of our church and to their friendship circles and beyond, Lord. We know that students are, like all of us, can be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So thank you for sending one of your under-shepherds to come under your leadership to, to guide them and to lead them to complete commitment to Christ. Lord, we pray for our students. We thank you for all the students who went on the retreats the last couple of weeks. I heard the report that 49 students said they want to be baptized, and so we're preparing to baptize all those students. Lord, we thank you for your fruitfulness, and we thank you for raising up Brit to join the team and to serve you in the ways that you've gifted her. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We love you, Brett. Grateful for you, sis. Well, as uh, time will go on, you'll get a chance to know Brett, and if you have uh, students, you'll certainly get a front row seat to see God at work through her life and your students' uh, life as well. So please do be praying for Britt. Well, we are in a series entitled Batteries Not Included, and we are looking at Jesus' teachings on the topic of prayer and how um, as we enter into prayer and do it in accordance with Jesus' words to us about prayer, it doesn't just make us have a stronger prayer life. It strengthens us in every area of our life. And each week we've been looking at a little video from someone within the life of our church who shares a little window or glimpse into their prayer life. The idea here is for maybe you to pick up a tip or two that might strengthen your own times of prayer. So would you take a look at the side screens? But spending time in the morning in my meditation with the Lord and waiting on the Holy Spirit to speak to me And most of all, I think it's just um, doing my worship time and singing to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is just so present and speaking to me in prayer about things I need to pray for. And um, 
I think having relationships with people who pray with me and pray for me is mostly important. Hi, I have three uh, tips for prayer. The first is whenever someone shares some difficulty that they're going through or if you're going through difficulty, don't wait. Just pray right at that moment, right then and there, and God will answer, I believe. Uh, the second is there's nothing too small or too big for the Lord. Even if you're parking, ask for a parking spot. God wants to increase your faith and uh, just release prayers and have you uh, know His power. And the last thing is it's the early morning prayers. So I recommend spend an hour in the morning prayer, join us and uh, see God work in your life. I love it. I love what he said about a parking spot. But if you caught what he said right after that, because God wants to increase your faith, right? He wants to increase your faith. And so uh, Pastor Nicky Gumbel once recounted a conversation he had with uh, Ranero uh, Catamalesa. I hope I'm saying that name right. And that man had been the preacher to the Papal household since 1980. And he was, Renero was about to be involved in a public debate in Italy with one of what was called the New Atheists of Italy at the time. And so Nicky Gumbel had asked him whether or not he thought he would win this public debate with this well-known atheist. And to which Renero replied, he said, I don't know. I might lose. Then he paused and he added, but the Lord can be glorified in defeat. Jesus came and he turned the world upside down. And since that is the case, it would only make sense that our prayers might not be answered exactly when or how we might expect them to be answered. And what we often sometimes can see as an unanswered prayer or maybe as a no in prayer, though those things, a no can be the case, but when we often see a no in prayer might actually be, be the beginning of the Lord being glorified in apparent defeat. Sometimes prayer calls for endurance, and we're going to consider that, but before we do, let's pray. Father, there's much to thank you for, and there's much to bring to you in prayer. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the life of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We thank you that we live in a country where we have the freedom to vote. And we pray for the upcoming elections. Would you give us godly leaders? Would you, Lord, help us be wise in our votes, Lord, that they would uh, honor you. Lord, we pray for our students. We pray for kids. We pray for the youngest to the oldest, Lord. We pray for the seniors in the life of our church, for everybody in between. God, that you would strengthen them and build us up in you. Lord, we pray for the spiritually unconvinced among us as well as within our relational circles, that you would use us to point them to you. We pray for the spiritually convinced that they would grow in you, Lord, that they would deepen in you. God, I'm excited about your word and what you want to teach us from it. Would you speak now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. On your way in, hopefully you got a bulletin. If you did, you can flip it open to this little center section. You'll see the teaching notes that are there, as well as the scriptures that we'll be digging into as we go throughout our time together. Jesus prayed for Peter. Peter was one of his disciples, and on the face of it, it didn't seem to go so well. In fact, I would suggest that halfway through the story, after Jesus had prayed for Peter, if you were just halfway through, you would say that prayer didn't work, that, that prayer was a failure. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is speaking in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and you, when you have once turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you even know me. Well, the first thing I want to draw out from the scriptures is this, is that in prayer, there's a great danger in short-termism. 
Now, what do I mean by short-termism? I actually thought I had made this word up, but I Googled it and found out that somebody else made it up before I made it up. And so it has an official definition. This is what it means. It means an excessive focus on the short-term results at the expense of the long-term outcomes. In prayer, there's a great danger in short-termism. On the surface, halfway through Simon Peter's story, it looks like Jesus' prayer has failed. But it didn't. It just took time. And the same can be true for your prayers. The same can be true for my prayers as well. Sometimes prayer calls for patient endurance. Halfway through, it looked like Jesus' prayer had failed, but halfway through the story, the story isn't over. Halfway through the story, the story isn't over. When we judge the power or the effectiveness of prayer halfway through the story, we can be tempted to despair or be disappointed, uh, to be frustrated or angry, to even lead us into saying, well, that, that doesn't even work, I'm wasting my time, and, and we give up praying not only about that thing, but slowly can even begin to give up praying about other things as well. When I was younger, maybe some of you might remember this, there was an old famous ad campaign for a wine company, and the slogan was, we will sell no wine before it's time. Anybody remember that? All right. Their point was that some things take time to mature and to ripen. Once we have done all that we can do to the best of our ability with good intention and effort, as well as with humble prayer, we must learn to wait with faith for the final outcome. If you look closely at Jesus' words here to Simon Peter, I think he's teaching us about prayer. Jesus' words indicate that halfway through the story, it won't look like the prayer is working very well. Satan will have sifted all of the disciples. In fact, in the Greek, when it says Satan has asked to sift you, it's plural, meaning it's sift all of you, all the disciples, and Peter will have denied Christ. Let me ask you, have you ever had this experience in prayer? Where you pray, and the first thing that happens is things get worse, not better. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen a lot. I had two recent experiences the last few months where I've been praying for uh, people that I care about. And my prayer has been, Father, would you help them with this certain set of circumstances that each of these individuals, different cases, were going through. And in both cases, I noticed that their circumstances got worse, not better. So don't ask me to pray for you after the service, right? In fact, as one of the people was telling me about how their circumstances got, had gotten worse, I had this thought flash through my mind, this is what my help looks like. What I realized is that I had been praying, Father, would you help them, by which I never articulated it, but I, I, I thought this somewhere in my spirit, by which I meant, would you make their circumstances better immediately? That, that's, I didn't say that, but that's what I expected. But what happened in both cases is that their circumstances got worse after I started praying for them, but they started to get better. Do you understand the difference? Does that make sense to you? As their circumstances got worse, they came to a place of desperation, where they desperately needed God, and they turned to him then for help in a way that they wouldn't have turned to him had their circumstances just gotten better, or even if their circumstances had just stayed the same. If you've ever had the experience of praying for someone and things get worse, Jesus has had that experience too. He prays for Simon and things got worse before they ever got better. The danger is that when it happens to us in our prayer life, we pray things seem to get worse, not better. We can be tempted to stop praying about the situation or the person we're praying for. And even worse, we can begin to lose motivation or faith to even pray for other situations. If I were Jesus, I might reason something like this. Well, I prayed for Simon but he's going to deny me, and I guess my prayer isn't really all that effective, and I guess God the Father doesn't really care about me. Or, or maybe it works for other people, but, 
maybe it just doesn't work for me or, or maybe I don't have the secret mojo that other people have. But thank God that Jesus is not like me. He doesn't reason like we reason on these things. In your prayer life, we must not judge the effectiveness of prayer before the whole story is completed. The second thing we see is this. When we only expect immediate results in prayer, it is a sign of immaturity. It's a good thing to expect immediate results in prayer. And it's important you hear me say that. But it is also an immature thing to only expect immediate results in prayer. I had uh, told you earlier on in the series that I had begun because of Jesus' prayer in John 17 to pray for people I don't even know who would be impacted by our little church. And I had mentioned that I, because of Jesus' prayer, had started praying um, for people who read our Bible reading plans uh, on YouVersion that, that we had written. And I just used that as an example of like, these are people who never met. They're being impacted because of our church and the Bible plans that we have up. So I've been pr- praying for that. But wouldn't, wouldn't you know, so I've been praying. And what happens? Well, one of those plans was promoted by YouVersion, which literally meant that thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people around the earth began to read that reading plan. So we were praying, I was praying, and I saw God immediately at work for bringing in people to read those reading plans. So it's a good and a right thing to expect to see that prayer changes things and that sometimes that happens immediately. But it is equally true to say that it is immature to think that it will only happen immediately and we will only see immediate results. We pray, we think something like this, God, help me love my neighbor. We go out the door and we try to love our neighbor. Our neighbor's a jerk to us. And then we say, well, I'm not praying for my neighbor anymore. And I'm not praying to love my neighbor anymore because that didn't work, right? We pray, God, bless my finances. Oh, God, by the way, I don't want to have to learn what your word says about how to handle finances well. I don't want to have to tithe. I don't want to budget. I don't want to reduce my spending. I don't want to cut back on drinking overpriced Starbucks uh, drinks that are burned anyways. I don't want to do those things. I don't want to do that. Sorry for those of you who work at Starbucks. I don't want to take a stewardship class. I don't want to grow or learn. Just bless me. That's what I want you to do, God. God, fix my marriage. I don't want to have to go to counseling. I don't want to have to be consistent in forgiving my spouse. I don't want to have to pray more than once that you would finally make them do what I want them to do so that they're more bearable to live with. God, would you do that? God, I want you to lead a family member to Christ. I don't want to have to learn how to share the gospel, though. Could you just send someone else to share the gospel with them. God, give me a good friend. And oh, by the way, I want this new best friend to happen immediately for me without me giving any time or attention to them. And I want them to uh, be completely interested in everything in my life all the time while I won't have time to ask them how they're doing at all. Now, I'm exaggerating, right? We, we don't pray like this, right? We don't, I'm, I'm exaggerating. We don't pray like it, but we can think like that sometimes in our hearts. God can be at work answering prayer in his timing without you seeing immediate results. Look at Peter's words. He says, I'm ready. Meaning, now, today, immediately, I'm ready, right now, to go with you to prison and death. Look at Jesus' words. The rooster will not crow this day until you've denied me three times. Peter is expecting the immediate and Jesus is playing the long game. Jesus is understanding that even the prayer that he's prayed is going to take some time to unfold for the story to be completed. Jesus is expecting the prayer to be answered because he says, when you turn back to me. He doesn't say, if you turn back to me. So he clearly expected the prayer to be answered. But he says, when you turn back to me, which means he clearly didn't expect it to be answered immediately. There was going to be some time in there. What Jesus understands about prayer is that just because a request of the Father is not answered immediately does not mean that it won't be answered eventually. 
And just because the Father doesn't answer your prayer, my prayer in the way that we would expect, does not mean He is not answering your prayers in unexpected ways. Consider the case of a guy named James Frazier. The year is 1908. And James has a promising career as an engineer. He gives up that career in order to go and move to China to share the gospel. He worked hard to learn the language and culture in order to share Jesus. He worked in what's uh, known back then as Lisu land in the foothills of the Himalayas. It's still known as that today. He would regularly travel village to village sharing about who Jesus was and leading services with people who had come to Christ, teaching them God's Word in each village. And during the winter months, because it's the Himalayas, it made the snow made it like impossible for him to go up to the higher-up villages uh, to travel there. And James, at that time, if you read his prayer journals, he was often frustrated. He even blamed God for the snow hindering his work. Then he sensed a challenge from God. He recorded in one of his prayer journals. He knew that it would take him three to five days to travel, even when the weather was good, to the Highlander villages to lead services and then travel home. But he couldn't do that during the snowy season. So unable to travel, he sensed a challenge from God to take those same days that he would have traveled there and back and led the services to pray for the new Christians who were now alone, snowed in, high up in the Himalayas, in their villages. When the spring arrived and snow melted, Fraser was eager to visit the Highlander villages and check on the disciples, and what he found amazed him. Through the winter, they had been reading their Bibles and they had been praying. He discovered that they had actually grown far more in maturity and far more in faith than did the disciples in the lowlands where the snow was not falling and he could get to them. He later wrote and said, If I were to think after the manner of men, I would be anxious about the Lisu converts, afraid for their falling back into demon worship. But God is enabling me to cast all my care upon him. I am not anxious. I am not nervous. If I hugged my care to myself instead of casting it upon him, I would never have persevered in the work so long. Perhaps I never even would have started it. But if it has been begun in him, it must continue in him. I used to think, he writes, that prayer should have the first place in teaching the second place. I now feel that it would be true to say that prayer should have the first, second, and third place, and teaching should have the fourth place. Today, there are 730,000 Lisu in southern China, and over 300,000 of them are Christians, and they all trace their lineage back to James Frazier. Sometimes the Father answers our prayers with means that we would not expect on a timeline that we would not expect in ways that we would not expect. We must have endurance in prayer to be part of what God is doing. You know, it's been said that a a great oak tree is simply an acorn that endured and held its ground. How are you doing it enduring and holding your ground? Some prayers are answered slowly over a very long period of times. Other prayers are answered all at once after a long period of time of waiting. The third thing we see is this. Jesus' prayer not only helps us win our spiritual battles, it empowers us to help others win theirs too. Jesus prays that Simon's faith would not fail. But wait a second, it does fail, doesn't it? Or at least it seems like that. I mean, he denied Christ three times. That is certainly not a rousing success, right? Jesus' words make clear here that he's defining failing differently than maybe you and I might define failing. The word fail that Jesus used here when he says, I'm praying for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. It means to be in the process of running out of something, like praying that you don't run out of money. So Jesus is saying, I prayed that your faith would not become totally bankrupt. And then he says this strange thing, so that when you have repented and turned to me again. In other words, Jesus knew that Simon would deny him three times, but what Jesus was praying for and what Jesus was focused on is what would happen after that. He wasn't focused on Peter's denials. He knew that that would happen. 
He focused his prayers on what would happen after the denials that Peter had denied Christ. Jesus knew Simon didn't have the faith to stand against the temptation to deny Jesus, but Jesus was praying that Simon would have enough faith left after denying Christ to repent of his sin and turn back to Jesus. In other words, he was praying that Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's faith would not run out, that he'd have enough faith left to turn back after a major downfall. Satan sifted Simon. Jesus now turns the sifting from evil to good. How so? Well, Satan pressured Simon enough to deny Christ three times. But after Jesus resurrects from the dead, he comes explicitly, individually looking for Simon, asking him three times, do you love me? One for each of the three denials. Satan knocks him down, Jesus picks him up. Satan knocks him down, Jesus picks him back up. Satan knocks him down, Jesus picks him back up again. Satan intended the sifting to crush Simon and that be the end of the story. To that be the end of Simon's faith. But Jesus prays and he seeks out the crushed Simon and he helps him rise. Only he doesn't just help him rise, he helps him rise again. And he doesn't just rise again. Peter rises again, but he rises differently. Gone is the arrogant, I'm better than everyone else version of Simon Peter. Gone is the one who says, I'm ready right now, Jesus. Instead, we have a humble, more mature version of Simon who cares for those who suffer and struggle. He's become more compassionate. And some of you, you're right there right now. Maybe you have denied Christ in some way or some form or some fashion. Maybe you've done it many times and, and now you feel wrecked. You feel like damaged goods. Or maybe you feel wrecked and you feel like damaged goods and you didn't deny Christ, but you are very clear that you are entering and being sifted by Satan. And if that's you, I want you to hear this. Your faith in Jesus has not finally failed, has not finally failed you unless in your crushed state you're not willing to turn again to Jesus, to reach out again to Jesus. Satan wants to crush you, but Jesus has prayed for you. And he comes looking now for you. And all you need is enough faith to say, here I am. Take me in my crushed form. Here I am. I I repent of whatever sin I was doing. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But notice, Jesus' prayer doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says to Simon Peter, so when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Why? Because what Satan intended for evil, Jesus is turning towards good. This happens because of the power of Jesus' prayer. We can think, well, yeah, but Tom, Jesus prayed for Peter. He's not praying for me. Not so fast. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus is praying for you, even now. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God right now and is also interceding for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Hebrews seven twenty five says, therefore, he is able to com- save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus didn't just pray for Simon Peter. He's prayed for you. He's prayed for me in your sifting and in my sifting. You know, one way to confound the enemy is that after you've been beaten down, to set your soul for the purpose of building others up. Don't just be content to rise up again. Rise up again, but also help others rise up again. Pray for yourself that your faith would not run out, but also pray for other believers that their faith would not run out as well and strengthen your brothers and sisters. And you do this not from some place of arrogance or self-righteousness. You do it from a place of humility, a place of endurance. You do it from a place of prayer. You do it from a place that doesn't give up praying if you don't see an immediate answer. You do it from a place that remembers that just because 
you don't see an answer in the way you would expect it doesn't mean that God is not at work and answering your prayer in unexpected ways. You do it from a place of knowing that even now, the same Jesus who prayed for Simon prays and intercedes for you if you're a follower of Christ. Do it from a place that in some sense, the more the enemy of our lives would sift the church, you understand that the stronger the church becomes as the sifted and restored ones strengthen those who are now being sifted. There's a great danger in short-termism and prayer. You see, when Jesus prayed for Peter, halfway through the story, the prayer looked like it was powerless. But the story wasn't over. The end of the story is that Peter not only returned to Christ, but in fact did strengthen his brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, let me close by reading to you some of the words of the sifted Peter who wrote these words after he was restored by Jesus, sustained by Jesus' prayer, restored by Jesus' word, and charged by Jesus' command to feed his sheep. He writes this to strengthen each one of us. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and 6, it goes on and says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. Will himself make you strong firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray, to thank, to confess, to request, to forgive. Father, when we see an immediate answer to our requests, may we always be quick to give you thanks and glory. Let me ask you, church, What requests have you prayed recently where you've seen the Father answer them? Just take a moment. Think on these things. And as God might bring something to mind, take a moment and just thank him for those specific prayer requests where you've seen that answer. And Father, with the times when we don't see an immediate answer, may we return in prayer to ensure that we are praying in alignment with your will, that we're obeying your word. And if so, may you give us a a maturity to endure. Let me ask you, who, who or what have you been asking the Father for where maybe when you didn't see an immediate answer, you just stopped praying? And you're sensing God saying, I want you to endure in prayer. Father, we thank you that you can be glorified even in our siftings, even in our defeats. Pray for your own faith and those that you know that their faith would not fail. So, Father, I pray for each one who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who calls Christian Assembly home, that our faith would not fail us in the time of our sifting. I pray that you would be our carrier, that you would intercede for us, even in ways that we don't know or can't understand how to intercede for ourselves. And Jesus says, we know that you're praying for us. Now we want to pray for others. In fact, pray for those on your right or your left. Or maybe God might bring someone else to mind that you need to pray for. What do you need to request on their behalf? Father, we ask that you would hear our prayers. Maybe for some of you, your faith has been sifted Maybe you even used to say that you were a follower of Christ, but now you 
have been so sifted, so crushed that you feel like, I don't even know that I could say that anymore. And I want you to hear the power of Jesus at work in Simon Peter's story. He comes looking for him and restores him. And he comes looking for you even now to restore you. Maybe you need to return to Christ. And as he spoke to Simon, maybe he's speaking to you, do you love me? And your prayer can just be, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. Maybe for others of you, you've never given your life to Christ. And if so, you can pray with me. You can just say, Father, I'm asking that you would give me to Jesus, that you would give me the gift of faith. I I place my hope and trust in Jesus. I turn from my sin now. Forgive me and cleanse me, save me, empower and strengthen me to obey your commands and to walk in your ways all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Your very next step is to be baptized. In a moment, we'll come to this table. If you did pray that prayer for the first time, would you let me or one of the other pastors know? We have new believers, uh, Bibles up here we'd love to get into your hand. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. He had gathered his disciples and he took the bread and he blessed it and then he broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper, he took a cup and said, this is the cup of the shedding of my blood. Take this, drink of it, all of you, and do this in remembrance of me. And what are we remembering? We're remembering that we cannot save ourselves, that Christ alone is the one who can save us. He's the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. And that only happens by his grace where he gives us the faith to come to him and say, would you save me? This table is open to anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you just made that decision a moment ago or whether you made it a long time ago. It's not my table. It's not a Christian assembly table. It is the table of Jesus Christ. And so let me pray before we enter into communion. So even now, Father, we ask that you would set these elements that we have apart from the mundane use to the sacred. Your word tells us to discern the body. So help us discern the body even now. If you're a believer and you're going to receive communion, is there any sin that you need to confess to the Lord? Ask his forgiveness for. Is there any anxiety you want to cast upon him? Give to him because he cares for you. Is there anywhere you need to ask him to give you the peace that surpasses understanding as you present your requests with thanksgiving to him? Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, um, you would not participate in this time. But for those of you who are, you can go ahead and take the little cup and take the bread and take the juice, remembering that Christ has died for us and for our salvation. Jacob, would you lead us?